0: Welcome to Jersey Arts, the podcast. I'm Susan Wallner, and today's conversation is with Philip Pearlstein, the realist figure painter who first made waves in the 1960s with his clear-eyed, meticulously painted, larger-than-life-size nudes. Philip Pearlstein's work can be seen through February 1st at the Montclair Art Museum in an exhibition called Philip Pearlstein: Objectifications, First, we'll hear from the show's curator and the museum's director, Patterson Sims. He's known Philip and his wife, Dorothy, since the early days of his own art career in New York City.
1: Philip really looks at art, so he would come to the gallery where I worked. I then worked at the Whitney Museum of American Art. He was uh, represented in the Whitney's collection. I got to go to his house one year. I went and had Thanksgiving with him, again, about 25 years ago. But I never really thought about doing an exhibition with him until I came to work at the Montclair Art Museum, and I realized that Philip and Dorothy were spending about half the year in New Jersey. And that really excited me. I thought, that's great. Not only is he a New York artist that I admire, but he's a New Jersey artist that I admire. And I've liked to, when I've been able to, in the curatorial projects I've done at the museum, try to work with New, York, excuse me, with New Jersey artists. And so here was an artist who really had made a big commitment to this state, and uh, who had an extraordinary career, because Philip will turn 85 this coming spring. So he's really a figure who has extraordinary depth and resonance within uh, the art world. He really has done something very, very well for a long time and happily, though as I say he will be 85 in the spring, he's making the best paintings of his life. And it's very rare actually that an artist continues to make their best work all the way through and that's what's clearly happening in Philip's case. He's really making works that are just as interesting as anything he has ever done. And so that excited me a lot. I also realized in getting to know Philip and getting to think about his work, that though the part of his work which is the best known, the works which deal with the female figure and the male figure posed in enclosed and claustrophobic interiors and increasingly surrounded by many of the objects from his own collection, those works though are the best known and certainly are the most radical of the realist kind of uh, objective that he's taken on as a painter. They were but one aspect. He also made really wonderful portraits, which I knew from knowing uh, Mr. and Ms. Lewis quite well and knowing their portrait. And also he made wonderful landscapes. He worked with the landscapes. I also realized as I began to do research on his work that those were themes that he'd begun at the very beginning of his creativity.
0: I think that one of the things he uh, said that really struck me, especially with the length of time that he's been working as, as you've been talking about, is the fact that every painting for him is like he's setting up a problem that he's solving.
1: That's a really, I think, a very astute observation because I think Philip, his, his painting got much, much better. and In a sense, his painting matured when he became a teacher. When he began to look at his paintings and his works of art as solving problems, that's when I think he really grasped the direction his work would take which would give it its greatest originality and importance. And so I think you say something very profound when you say that he sets up a challenge. The challenge is called a complex still life. That's the, the core challenge of what he does. And it's a still life which he added a whole new, gr- new degree of complexity to by including the figure. So he took this living, breathing body or bodies and put them amidst the increasing number of objects which he's chosen to depict as a really profound challenge and he's made his art harder for himself every year. It isn't as if it's harder for him to make his art. He's made his art harder every year. He's given himself greater and greater technical challenges because effectively his work is about taking his really excellent intellect and applying it to the prosaic real world.
0: I met up with Philip Pearlstein at his weekend house in Highland Lakes, New Jersey. The house is perched on the edge of a lake, and it's filled with objects that Philip and Dorothy have collected in their travels. Philip's a soft-spoken man, born in Pittsburgh in 1924. It was there he first began his career as an artist, working with an exceptional high school art teacher, Joseph Fitzpatrick. As a side note, FitzPatrick was Andy Warhol's art teacher too.
2: He made art seem important. He didn't teach anything. It was all attitude. We entered all the contests. He had a big after af, after class art club. There must have been about 15 people painting, doing sculpture, very serious. And we entered the Um, big contests like National Scholastic High School Contest and suddenly my paintings won. I won two first prizes the first year I entered, which was our junior year and uh, Life Magazine, which was a very big force at that time ran full-color reproductions of my paintings along with other people in the show who won prizes. And uh, that was the real beginning of an art career. Unfortunately, the Army drafted me a couple years later, <laughs> and uh, so there was a kind of a hiatus of 15 years before an art career really developed.
0: But you were doing art. You were doing. You were approaching it from other angles.
2: Yeah. I, in the army, I became a sign painter, and we did. I was part of a unit that did charts for training infantry people. I was in the infantry. How to use your weapons, how to take them apart, clean them, and put them back together. And uh, I worked with a group of men for about six months who had all been commercial artists. And I picked up a lot from them about lettering and layout, uh, drafting, how to use drafting instruments and so forth. I mean, then I was put back into the infantry (laughs) after that nice episode lasted a few months and spent a couple of years in Italy in the infantry. But also, every once in a while, I would end up in a sign painting shop uh, that's how I got through the war. And uh, then afterwards I got into, I went back to college and got into uh, graphic design and spent, um, well, uh, I was about 35 years old when that phase of my life ended.
0: But you were painting all during this time and some of those early works are in this show, what was, uh, what was one of the works that, that you can remember that was important to you at the time?
2: I could never really be an abstractionist, somehow. I had, I had to have uh, a visual basis or something that referred to the real world. And I discovered rocks out on Montauk Point, the end of Long Island. And I looked for rocks that were, like they had a nervous breakdown. (laughs) But they lent themselves to uh, abstract picture structure. And they became my models. I, I collected a group of these rocks and painted from them very expressionistically. Heavy brush strokes, heavy paint,
0: so at some point you decided to turn your attention to the nude as an object of your paintings.
2: Yeah, but uh, they replaced rocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I never got interested in anatomy as such, and I never studied anatomy. I just took, was interested in the surface and the, uh, the way the forms piled up
0: but then people had a different reaction to the rocks than to the, to the people.
2: Right, I, I was shocked to discover that a lot of people were really disturbed by these paintings. It hadn't occurred to me. Um, the first sign I had that they were disturbing was when my mother told me she couldn't stand looking at them, at no. the paintings. And, uh, and the gallery dealer who represented me at the time, said the same thing. (laughs) He couldn't stand looking at the paintings, but he uh, was interested enough um, to advance me money against future sales uh, to hire models. He was sort of interested in it as a project.
0: What made it disturbing for people to see these paintings
2: uh, well, I decided that as long as I was going to be painting from real models, real live models, I might as well make them as uh, clearly defined as possible. And But these were ordinary young people, and uh, they weren't fashion models or cute cute girly types like there were paintings both of men and women and paintings of the men that disturb people even more than (laughs) the paintings of women but that was in the you know the early 1960s and um, the attitude might be different now but i'm not i'm not sure
0: what what has kept you interested in doing the news?
2: Well, what's kept me interested is that I've never quite figured out how to do it. <laughs> and I keep working away at it. It's always as if I'm starting all over again. Every, every painting becomes a new experience. Um, I really go after kind of a basic compositional design it's a it 's a design problem, one of my early teachers uh, an artist named balcom green uh i've heard him give a talk once, and somebody from the audience asked him something like, Why do you paint or why do you keep painting and he his answer was, I want to see what it looks like when it's finished, <laughs> and I think that's ultimately the answer
0: Philip Pearlstein objectifications is on view at the Montclair Art Museum through February 1st 2009 to find out more visit jerseyarts.com you can also tune in to state of the arts on NJN public television on January 16th for a story I'm producing featuring Philip Pearlstein at work this is Susan Wolner for Jersey Arts the podcast Jersey Arts, the podcast, is a production of State of the Arts. Watch it on NJN Public Television, Fridays at 8.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 11.30 p.m. Individual stories can be seen anytime on njn.net. The New Jersey State Council on the Arts is proud to co-produce State of the Arts. The New Jersey State Council on the Arts, encouraging excellence in the arts since 1966. Additional support was provided by the Geraldine R. Dodge Foundation, supporting cultural, educational, and environmental initiatives that make our world more livable.